I'm Jonathan Cross, and you're listening to a series of Boozy and Hawks podcasts marking the 50th anniversary of the death of Igor Stravinsky, one of the 20th century's most important composers. Episode 1, Stravinsky Today. Fifty years ago, the celebrated composer Igor Stravinsky died at the age of 88 in New York. The quietness of his passing stood in stark contrast to the hullabaloo that quickly ensued. He was hailed by The Guardian as the towering figure in 20th century music. The Washington Post described him as one of the great original creative geniuses in the entire history of music. And the New York Times dubbed him the most modern of the moderns. Tributes poured in from the international greats of the music and dance worlds who knew and had worked with him, conductors Klemperer, Stokowski and Bernstein, composers Copeland and Thompson, choreographers Ashton and Balanchine, among many, many others. As composer and conductor, as well as an instantly recognisable personality, Stravinsky was, at the time of his death, already an international commodity, his music known and performed the world over. In the 50 years since his death, Stravinsky's principal works have become ever more widely played and recorded. But how well do we actually know him and his music, beyond a small handful of frequently performed pieces? His first great success, the ballet The Firebird, premiered in Paris in 1910, is certainly still performed often. The Rite of Spring excites audiences today as much as it did when its 1913 premiere caused a notorious commotion. Choirs regularly sing his powerful Symphony of Psalms, and The Rake's Progress, his only full-length opera, is never out of the repertoire. But he actually produced over 120 works across his long creative life in many different styles. There's his early funeral song, for example, that's only recently been rediscovered, written in the shadows of Rimsky-Korsakov and Wagner. And you can hear that clearly in this excerpt from the work. Then there's a work such as Les Nos, The Wedding, deeply embedded in the culture of his native Russia, and there are the so-called neoclassical works of the interwar years, like the opera Mavra, the oratorio Oedipus Rex, and the Symphony in C. And then there are his late great American achievements, such as the ballets Orpheus and Agon and the Requiem Canticles. Stravinsky changed his stylistic mask as often as he crossed borders and took on new nationalities. He was born a Russian, he lived in Switzerland during the First World War, he eventually took French citizenship, he died a US citizen, and is buried in Italy on Venice's cemetery island, close to the impresario Sergei Diaghilev, who gave him his first big break. 
Stravinsky lived through the most tumultuous times of war, revolutions, migration and cultural and political change. Stravinsky's music subtly registers these shifts and crises like that of no other composer of the 20th century. Who then is the real Igor Stravinsky? Different labels have been attached to his music at different times. Neo-nationalist, primitivist, ultra-modernist, neoclassicist, serialist, it's all very confusing. And it's often hard to believe that the composer who produced the violent Russian ritual of the Rite of Spring could also, just seven years later, have written the playful Pulcinella or that the chic French lines of Apollo, written in interwar Paris, could have been produced by the same composer who, in America, adopted the harsh style of the young avant-garde in his movements for piano and orchestra. Yet this could also be said of Stravinsky's great contemporary, Pablo Picasso, whose work similarly documents the turbulence of the 20th century in passing from fauvism through cubism and a kind of neoclassicism towards a refined late style. Beyond the surface, Picasso is always identifiably Picasso. And Stravinsky, too, always remains indomitably Stravinsky. He once described himself as suffering from a rare form of kleptomania, taking musical ideas from wherever he encountered them, whether this was from Russian folk song or from jazz or from across the entire history of Western music. But whatever the materials, he always made them his own, reshaping them in his own image, bestowing on them his particular sensibility for form, rhythm, colour and drama. He constantly invites the listener to re-hear the familiar with fresh ears. With the benefit of hindsight, it's now possible for us to evaluate Stravinsky's output as a whole. The differences between pieces seem today less marked than they once did. Scholars have shown just how far the spirit of Russia seems to permeate all of the music of this son of St. Petersburg. Listen closely to the endings of Firebird, the symphonies of wind instruments and the Requiem Canticles written across his life and you'll hear essentially the same voice speaking, a melancholic, lamenting voice infused with the sound of Russian bells. And here are those bells chiming in the postludium at the end of the Requiem Canticles. Despite his keeping up with the latest Western fashions and becoming the darling of cosmopolitan interwar Paris, despite not setting foot on his native soil for almost half a century, Stravinsky's domestic language remained Russian. He lived mainly among Russian émigré communities and he reconverted to the Orthodox faith. The opening Latin of the Symphony of Psalms actually began life in ancient Slavonic as a setting of a prayer to the Russian image of the infant Christ with orb and scepter. Canticum Sacrum of 1956 and Thraney of 1958 are both late serial works and were written for premieres in Venice. 
yet they're also among the most ritualized of his late pieces. In their chanting, their processionals and their repetitions, they echo the laments and rituals of so many of Stravinsky's earlier Russian works. To hear the Russianness in all of Stravinsky's music is to acknowledge a life lived in exile. When Stravinsky finally returned to Russia in 1962, he was deeply moved. His longtime assistant, Robert Kraft, wrote that Stravinsky regretted his uprooting and exile more than anything else in his life. And the alienation felt by Stravinsky was an experience common to so many in the 20th century. Beyond its playful surfaces, the music speaks of that exile. Igor Stravinsky bestrode the 20th century like a colossus. With his roots deep in the 19th century and with his influence extending to composers well into the 21st century, his music continues to demand attention as one of the largest pieces in the jigsaw of modern art. His work is continually inventive, taking the recognisable and turning it into something new. His music dances, it's dynamic and colourful, it's often playful, but it's also poignant and contemplative, lamenting the losses of his time. His music is always beautifully crafted, never a note out of place. Stravinsky's music can make one laugh, it can make one weep, it can overwhelm. His music achieves meaning by standing back from a tormented, changing world and reflecting on it, commenting on it. A half-century since the composer's death, the music of Igor Stravinsky remains as powerful and as necessary as it's always been. <laughs> 